0: Good morning. We're glad that you're with us here this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. If we haven't met, I'm Matthew. Uh, I'm on staff here at South Hills, and we're glad that you're here, Um, that we're continuing and really finishing up a short little series on church practices this morning. We started a couple weeks ago, and uh, we're diving into some of those topics that maybe at times are misunderstood or confusing, especially if you've not been a part of the church um, at different points in your life. You may or come from different traditions, uh, different things, things like communion and baptism. Uh, are Are those kinds of things that you're like, how does that actually function Um, here. And so this morning we're going to continue that and finish that up uh, by looking at one more church practice. But last week we kind of took a break. Uh, Paul was here. Paul Edwards was here. And um, it was great to have him. And, And he spoke about praise. And just in way of review, one of the things that Scott talked about when we started this church practice series, he mentioned a couple of things that I think are relevant for us to be reminded of. He talked about things like singing, prayer and Scripture reading and teaching. Uh, Singing, we talked a little bit about that last week with Paul, this idea of praise that if we understand who God is in our lives, and even that last song, right, how great is our Lord, right? Like, you think about the grandeur of that, that at some point when Jesus returns all the earth… Is going to sing praise. They're going to recognize who God is. Whether they like it or not, they're going to understand who God is. And as believers, we have this opportunity that on an individual basis, we can be singing. I I can remember um, when I was in college, I mentioned this the last time, I went really far away. I had a 20 minute drive to get to school when I was in college. Uh, So I went really far. Uh, But Sunday nights uh, was usually the time when I was driving back to school. And I can remember. Remember, like my tape player in my car, uh, I was I was jamming out to all kinds of songs and different things. That you know, the little thing that would play. Anyways, <laughs> I'm old. Uh, but I can, re- rem- I can remember driving that 20 minutes and just having these amazing times of worship. And uh, singing is one of those things that we can do it corporately, which we do each Sunday, but it's also something that there is an individual aspect to it. Prayer the same way. We are a praying church. I love the opportunity that each week, those that are teaching, um, we gather right before the service, eight o'clock, with a couple of other people here at the church, and we just spend some time praying. And as a staff, we're about that each week. We're we're praying over those requests that that you share with us and that's something we do individually but it's also something that we do corporately scripture reading and teaching as well those three things are all practices that are a part of the church but there is a bit of an individual aspect to them as well as the corporate and then as scott talked about the last the first two things uh, communion and baptism these are practices or ordinances that really we find in Scripture that God, uh, through Jesus, ordained those things to be a part of the church the corporate gathering of those believers. So, communion and baptism represent are represented in those that are in their saving faith. They have said, I am following Jesus. And so, in that expression, there's baptism. And we celebrated that last week with a couple of baptisms. And then communion really is as well, something that we do corporately, not individually. And as believers, we have that. And then we… Scott mentioned that there was a third one. It's really not an ordinance per se, but it still is a practice of the church. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning, and we're going to talk about membership. And uh, there's all kinds of things that we could talk about when it comes to membership, but all of these things, when we talk about them, often come back to a misunderstanding or just not, un- not knowing What we're talking about when we talk about baptism or communion or membership. And so this morning we're going to focus on membership, and it's something close to my heart. Uh, As I work through um, some doctoral stuff, this is the focus of what I've been spending some time on. So I joked with our prayer team this morning and I said, I have all of this knowledge, so be prepared. We're going to go for about four hours. that's not true. I'm going to condense it down. I'm going to give you all that I can um, over the next couple of minutes um, to share with you about the value and the purpose of membership. And to do that, Uh, We have to have an understanding of what the church is. And so, what I want us to do is start by going to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up where Scott left off with baptism a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 41. And as you're going there, uh, I just want to give you some background um, to our passage here this morning. And the background begins with Jesus back in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has been teaching, He's been performing miracles, He's been doing lots of things. In fact, His name is growing amongst different people and those that like it and those that don't like it. But one day, He's with His disciples and He's walking with them and having a conversation with them. And He says, hey guys, I want to know who do people say that I am? And so these disciples start to tell Jesus who they hear. There's different names that come up and different people that they address. And then Jesus says, those are all great. I hear what the corporate group of people is saying, but now you guys who have been close with me over the last few years, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I don't know if you know this about Peter, but Peter usually spoke before he thought, and uh, Peter, who is one of the disciples, he speaks up, and he says, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He answers Jesus' question, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, G- and Peter answers with that response. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to that with these words. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In that verse, verse 18, Jesus initiates the church. Jesus speaks about the church only two times in His ministry, this place and in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, He talks about church discipline and how it relates to membership. But here, Peter makes this confession. He confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, on that confession, Peter, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And in Acts, as Acts opens... Peter, um, filled with the Spirit, begins to teach. He begins to preach. In fact, he begins to preach so much that when people hear what he's saying, they wonder, how is someone drunk at noon on, a, on an afternoon kind of thing? Um, they're not understanding it. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and the church begins to form. This church that Jesus says, I am going to build on this confession of Peter that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, begins to formulate. And for us, as 2023 church, it becomes the role model for who we are. These hallmarks that we see in Acts chapter 2 really should be the hallmark of the church today, and they have been the hallmarks of the church throughout generations. So, if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, it's printed in the uh, handout there. It's on the screen as well. Let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. Says those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, you can have a seat. So what I want you to do this morning is just want you to see that uh, there are lots of definitions that I could give you um, for the church. How do we define the church? I could give you lots of different definitions. In fact, uh, over my time of looking at this practice of membership, uh, there's not a book that has the same definition for what the church is. There's lots of definitions out there, but for me, what the church is, it's the collective of those believers who have come together in unity and faith. And uh, for the early church here in Acts chapter 2, these hallmarks become kind of the role model for us as well. And it begins with verse 41. Let's go back, and verse 41 says, those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that, that day. Now, this is an amazing point of the early church, right? Um, Scott and others of us that would teach Uh, we would love for God's Spirit to move in such a way that 3,000 would be added. But this was the movement of the early church. I mean, just exponentially growing very quickly. Peter preaches. He shares this message of repentance and salvation, and people are coming to faith, and they're baptized, and they are added to the number there. It says, those who accepted his message, that message of salvation, then were baptized. So, the, the First practice is baptism, and about 3,000 were added to their number. And this is important for us as we look later because they were adding to their numbers. It's the way that the church understood who they were. As Jesus was adding, as God was adding to their number, those who were being baptized, those who were being saved, their numbers began to grow. And this becomes an important hallmark of who they are. This morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to see three things. The first of those is, one, that they were devoted to the Word, that the early church practice was their devotion to the Word. Look at what it says uh, here at the start of our passage, verse 42. It says this, "They "'They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer.'" Uh, verse 44 says this, or 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, this is important for us because they were devoted to the word. The hallmark of the church is its devotion to God's word. That as you look at the church and as it gathers even today, one of the first things you should ask when you're stepping into those places, those houses of worship, is are they devoted to God's word? because the hallmark of the church is its devotion to God's truth. We know, and what was common for the early church as well, is that there's a lot of false teaching out there. That for the early church, a lot of the letters that are addressed to the early church by Peter and Paul is addressing things like false teaching. And what Paul and the other apostles would write to the church was to beware of this false teaching. Beware of those that would start to teach something other than what is God's Word. And the same's true for us today. The hallmark of South Hills Church has been God's Word, the teaching of God's Word. And we are dedicated to teaching God's Word on a weekly basis because we know that it is the inerrant Word of God that it is truth. Even though at times God's Word runs counter to the culture and what culture wants to say, we know that we're going to adhere to God's Word. And the early church was devoted to God's Word. They were devoted to the teaching that the apostles were bringing. They were devoted to it not only collectively, but in homes as well, that they were devoted to that teaching. And so we as a church as well want to be a church that is devoted To God's Word. It is the hallmark, it's the model that we see in Acts chapter 2. It it happens here on Sunday morning, but it's also a part of our life groups. As Scott mentioned, our life groups are sermon-based, and that's not based on just our teaching, but it's based on God's Word because we want those small groups to be devoted to God's Word. We know that when you get around God's Word, it is transformational. This entire year we have spent encouraging you to be devoted to God's Word because we see that practiced in the early church, that as people were coming to salvation, as they were being baptized, and as they were coming into the community, the church, they were finding devotion to God's Word. And as they were devoted to God's Word, God was adding to their numbers, Not only were they devoted to God's Word, but also they were devoted to one another. Look what it says in several of these passages. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but not only that, but to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. He goes on to say in verse 44, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They keep going. It says they sold property and possessions to give, to anyone who had need. And so what we see in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, just this constant of the early church modeling what it was to be together. They knew that there was community that was growing amongst them and they had all things in common. And, and how many times in just this short passage we see that they were together. They spent days together. They spent meals together. They had everything in common. They were even selling their possessions. Now, you look at that and you say, oh, wait, hold on. I'm not selling all my possessions to come into this. We're not asking you to do that. We're asking you to be together, right? They were devoted to each other. There is something about being in community in the church that when you are around others who have this saving faith, as you are encouraged by one another, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about what it was to be with one another. He shared with them often about being one and being in community with each other, and that one another stems from the fact that what we have in common is our faith in Christ, that we believe that Christ died on the cross and rose again and offers us salvation. We hold that in common. Now, we may have differences in other places. In fact, the early church was coming from all different walks of life. And as they were coming together, they turned cities upside down, There were political leaders who would look at the early church and say, holy cow, look at how together they are. We've never seen a group of people so together. And and not only together, but as they're together, people were drawn towards them. Because they were devoted in caring for one another. One of the reasons that they were selling possessions, one of the reasons that they were doing that together was so that they could care for the broad spectrum of people that were gathering in the church in Acts chapter 2. Rich, poor, Galilean, whatever they might have been, they were all coming together, and they had all things in common. And the public looked at that, and they said, wow, it's amazing, they're taking care of our poor people Better than we're taking care of that, and the church continues to be that today. We're to be devoted to one another. Again, in this collective community that we are, we're devoted to one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to care for each other. We want to lift each other up. We want to mourn with those that mourn, and we want to care for those who are joyous and celebrating and honoring them. That's what the collective community of Christ is about. Not only were they devoted to the word, not only were they devoted to one another, but they were also devoted to outsiders. Look what it says in verse 47. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This early church community not only was devoted to one another, but they were devoted to outsiders. You see that they had such a passion for what they had discovered in Christ, through baptism and the communion with one another, that they were attractional to everyone else outside of that community. How do I know that? Because God added to their number on a daily basis. There were people that were coming to faith on a regular basis, and not just here in Acts chapter 2, but we see it in other places in Acts that God was adding to their numbers. Because the early church was devoted to outsiders. You see, the church as we know it, can get very insider-focused. We can devote ourselves to making sure that we're okay. Those of us that are on the inside, even our language sometimes within the church speaks to our insider focus. We get concerned about the things that are near and dear to us, and we get this insider focus that we forget that as believers, Christ has called us to be outsider-focused as well. Yes, we are caring for one another on the inside, but we're also concerned about the outside world as well. I don't know if you know this, but the outside world has no desire to follow after God. I don't know if you knew that, that, they're, that, that just like us, they're sinners, and they are walking through this life, and there is darkness, and there is hurt, and there is pain, and there is suffering, and they're looking at the life that they're living, and they're wondering, what else is there Is there something more? And if as the church we're not devoted to the outsider, then who's going to tell them that there is a hope and peace in Jesus Christ? If we become so insider that we forget about the outsiders, then we really aren't the collective church that God desires for us to be we have to be outsider-focused. And the early church was devoted to outsiders. They were devoted to making sure that people heard the message of Jesus Christ. And as they heard that message, they were baptized, they were brought into this community. And can you imagine stepping out of the darkness and stepping into that community and having all things in common, how beautiful that must have been. The same is true for us. The model that the early church had is the same model for us. And as you look at uh, the church and as you explore it, these three things should be what you see. You should see devotion to God's Word. You should see devotion to one another. Does it seem like that the church is caring for each other? We want you to feel like family. And so, in family, it's not always perfect, It always doesn't work like we would want it to, right? There's always crazy Cousin Eddie that shows up to the family meals. We're kind of like that at times. I might be that crazy Cousin Eddie. I don't know. We're devoted to one another. We want to care for one another. We don't want to hurt when others hurt. We want to encourage where we can encourage. But then finally, we want to be devoted to outsiders, We want people to not be outsiders. We want to bring them inside so that they can know this beautiful relationship that you can have, this transforming relationship that you can have with Jesus. And that role model sets the foundation for who we are. And as a church, we want those things to be the hallmark. And so that sets the foundation for us. And what I want to do for the rest of the time this morning, and just sharing about membership, because we have to understand what the church is in order to understand what membership is. And so, the next little bit, what I want to talk about is some of the reasons why we value membership. Why does, value, why does membership become important? And I want to frame that with questions that maybe are statements that you maybe have said yourself related to the idea of membership. And so, here we go. The first thing that we see is the, the statement that you might make is the practice of membership is not in the Bible. And I would say you're right the Bible doesn't lay out a church membership profile. You can't go into the New Testament and find uh, how they laid out church membership. But I do believe that the Bible does speak to what membership looks like within the church. And so the first thing, the first reason why for membership is that there is a biblical reason for membership. There's a biblical reason for membership. And the first thing I would say uh, related to that is that when we look at the Bible and what it says about the church is that there is an inside and an outside. Look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians talks about this. It says in 1 Corinthians 5.12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not the judge of those inside? Um, So at the early church is forming, there definitely was an inside and outside and if you go back to that early church history, you will, under, you will know that the early church was very exclusive in the fact that they were, the membership of the church was those who were baptized, who believed, and came into membership with the church. They were very inside and outside. What this passage in 1 Corinthians says is, I can't judge those outside the church. They don't know have any saving faith of who God is, so I, I leave them alone. I'm not to judge them. Later, it says God will judge those who are outside. But what I can do is look at those on the inside and and pass some judgment. Now, the judgment here is not like shaming people inside the church. The judgment is just correction for how to live as a Christ follower, that correction that goes in. And so, when I'm inside… There is a mode as members to be correcting one another, to be encouraging one another in their faith. We all know that walking with Jesus isn't this smooth path that I take each and every day. There are stumbles and falls and things that happen. There are things that I am learning even still after many years of following Jesus that need correcting in my own life. But the early church had an inside and an outside. We see that. Also, biblically, what we see is that members of the church met together. We saw this in our passage. Let's see it again in another passage of Scripture. It says this, "...in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples, all the Christians, together." The Christians, the early church, met together. There was a meeting time on a regular basis. Uh, They were meeting not only in the temple courts, but they were meeting in houses. They were together. And uh, so that togetherness shows us that there was a membership. How can you know who was together unless you are delineating who the membership is? And so they were meeting together on a regular basis. They were devoting themselves to the disciples' teaching They didn't have live stream. They didn't have audio recordings. They didn't have those things. So how do we know that they were meeting together? The only way they could hear the apostles' teaching was if they were together as the church, As the members, they were devoting themselves to that teaching. And so the Bible speaks about the fact that they were often together. Um, In this passage, they were concerned about the widows. Who's taking care of the widows? And the apostles said, Listen, we're devoted to the teaching. We're we're spending time and making sure that you hear God's word. And they met together. And the solution that they came up with together was we're going to spread the opportunity, the opportunity to care for those widows. And we're going to name people that are going to oversee the care of the widows. The only way they could have done that is if they were, knew who the members were and they were gathering together. We still do that today. All right, here we go. The Bible also spe- speaks to the fact that Christians identified themselves as churches. Look at what it says in um, here we are in Acts again. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Uh, Barnabas and Saul, they traveled to lots of different churches. In fact, the writings, the letters are addressed to individual churches throughout that Mediterranean region. But Paul, and Saul and Barnabas come to this church where the Christians were already gathering, that as Christians, they did not separate the fact that they were Christians from the church. It was a collective agreement that if they were a believer, they were part of the church. And when Paul and uh, Barnabas show up, they spend a whole year with this church, teaching them and instructing them. But the Christians that were gathering saw themselves as the church that God, that Jesus had initiated. The last biblical reason that we see, and there's several more that we could give, to be a Christian is to belong to the church. To be a Christian is to belong to the church. Look at what it says uh, here in, in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To be a Christian is to be a part of the church. Now, the church is both visible and invisible. The invisible part is that as a believer, you are part of a collective of saints who have gone before you in generations past, that you're a part of the church that was in Ephesus and Galatia and Corinthians, Corinth, and all these places that we see in Scripture. You're part of the church universal in this invisible state. When Hebrews talks about that at some point we're going to meet up with this great cloud of witnesses, that's the invisible church that we all are a part of when we have faith in Christ but you're also part of a visible church. That as a believer, you are not meant to be alone as a Christian. That you're meant to be a part of a family, a local church body. That you're to be in that place because in that we'll see there is something uh, amazing that happens when you're collective. But so often we look at our faith and we say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really need the church. We'll look at that here in just a moment. But we weren't meant to be lone rangers. We weren't meant to be orphans. That as a Christian, you're supposed to be a part of the family. And the early church understood that. The biblical relationship that they had was they understood that as a Christian, I was part of the church. And as people were being added to the church, they became just more and more of the church. So the Bible speaks to this reason why you should be a member of a local church. The second reason that we see is a cultural reason you maybe say this question, I have an aversion to formally joining a church. I don't like the institution of church. I don't like the religion of church. And so, I'm not going to formally join. I'll just hang out for a while, and uh, maybe I'll be a part of things or maybe not. But really, there is a cultural reason why you could join and should join a church. And that cultural reason is that it runs counter to the culture. You see, we love options. In fact, we're the God of options. We love that God of options, right? So back in the day, McDonald's only had a few items on their menu. When they first started, there was like hamburger, french fries, uh, and a milkshake. Like those were the things. That's not their menu today, right? Because we got bored with that. We got tired of just having getting the choice of a hamburger, a cheeseburger, and a milkshake. We wanted more options. So McDonald's expanded their options and now there's this whole board and sometimes they can't even fit it on one board uh, because we love options. When it comes to relationships, we sit there and we're thinking, I don't know if this is the person, what if there's somebody better? And so we're thinking about the options and wondering whether I should stay with this person because we really don't know if I want if there's not going to be a better option. You step onto a car lot, and if you haven't done your homework, you're wondering which car should I choose? And there's this whole option of choosing of what you want because in our culture, we've become consumer driven. We like the options because it helps us choose sometimes what we want to take in. And even when we have lots of options and we make a purchase on something, sometimes we'll even walk out of those places and say, I don't know if I should have bought that. I really like the blue one over the red one but I'm committed to that red one. I guess I'll stick with that. We have this buyer's remorse, right, at times, uh, because we have, this, we have a trouble with committing to something. We have trouble to commit to those things that are out there. And when it comes to the church, the cultural reason that you would join a church is you're saying, I'm going to run counter to that culture. I'm actually going to commit to something. I'm going to say, I am all in, with that church, because I value what they value. I believe in what they're doing. I'm devoted to God's Word. I'm devoted to one another. I'm devoted to outsiders, and so I'm going to commit to that. But in our culture, that's not the case. We're commitment phobic. Uh, When Miranda and I were living in Kentucky, we always uh, bristled at the fact we'd invite people over on a Friday night, and somebody would say, well, uh, I'll let you know, which usually meant no, but they were just going to let us know because they were waiting potentially for something better to show up for Friday night than hanging out with Miranda and I. Now, listen, I understand that. We're a pretty happy, you know, hip couple, but uh, they were looking for something better. I was like, you're not going to find anything better than us. Uh, I'm just going to warn you. Uh, but that's how we operate. When we're so consumer driven, it makes its way into the church. And so what happens is I step into the church and then we have this this. Pro, this the process of church hopping. Well, I'm going to go to this church today because I really like the teaching there, but then I'm going to hop over to this church over here because I really like the music. Or if something happens in this church that I don't really like, then I'm just out. And what Scripture talks us about is finding commitment to the local church. You're not going to find everything perfect at any church, I guarantee you, I have lots of friends all over the Tri-Cities at their churches, and I know that they have problems just like we might have problems. But what you have to find is a commitment to one place, and that's a process. It's a choice that you make. But in our consumer-driven world, what it makes us do is we hop all over the place. We're here one day, we're over here, and then it speaks to this next thing that we see as far as a reason um, here in our third thing. Oh, let me give you the scripture, yeah. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Thanks, William. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The commitment to the church says that I'm gonna put something else above myself, that I'm gonna submit to the authority of the local church, whichever church that might be. I'm gonna submit to that authority, and ultimately, the authority of the church is God himself. God is the head of the church, but I'm going to submit to that local authority as well. And I'm going to say, it's not about me. What's going on in that church, I value. What I see happening now, not everything is going like I would like it to, but I see the value in devoting to God's Word, devotion to one another, devotion to outsiders, and I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to value that. In humility, I come and place myself in that authority. That runs counter to the culture, right? in the culture, I'm the authority on everything. I'm the authority on all things. I make the decisions based on what I want to do. And church membership runs counter to that and says, I'm going to submit in humility to what that church is about. All right, third, th- third reason, comment that you might say, I don't want to be pushed into something. True. I don't want to push you into anything either. But there is here this third reason, a practical reason for joining a church, for being a part of a church. And that is, the church needs to know who's on the team. We need to know who's valuing what we value, who's committed to what we're committed to, who is here on a regular basis. The statistics tell us that right now, it used to say that people attended church two out of four Sundays a month. Two out of four Sundays. That was a committed believer to the local church, two to four Sundays. Now that st- the most recent t- statistics tell us that it's dropped to under two. So we're saying that maybe one out of four Sundays people are attending church. Church affiliation has dropped dramatically over the last decade. Um, we're, at, we're seeing some of the lowest numbers of church affiliation in our country in a long time. And part of that reason is because people are choosing this consumer-driven piece that says, no, nah, I don't really need the church. I don't really want to be a part of the church because the church has lots of different things that are going on. It's a mess. You just watch the news every once in a while, and there's all kinds of things. And the truth is, yes, the church is a mess because it's made up of messy people. Uh, We're all sinners saved by God's grace, and it's always going to be messy on some level. But there's a practical reason to join the church, to be a part of the church, because we need to know who we can count on. If the football team shows up this morning uh, on, on Sunday afternoon for their football game, and the quarterback says, yeah, you know what? I really don't want to play for the Seahawks today. I'm going to go play for, I don't know, the Bears. Let's hope, like, please, some level. Could they please have a quarterback? Uh, It's just not going to happen, right? The Seahawks need to know that Geno Smith is committed to the Seahawks because when they show up on Sunday for their game, they need to know that the quarterback's going to be there or else they're in a mess, right? The church needs to know that too. We need to know who's committed. Who's on our team? Who's with us? Who values the same things that we do as a church? Who says, I want to I run with that team. I want to be here. I want to see what God's doing, and I want to be a part of that. I want to serve. I want to dedicate myself to that. And that lets us know, man, look at the team that God's building. The early church looked at that, and they said, look at what God is building. Now, they had thousands of people to disseminate through, Who's going to be the leaders? Who's going to take charge of these things? And the early church started to do that because they recognized who was on their team. If you're here one out of four Sundays, we don't know that you're part of our team. We don't know that you're committed to, you might be, you might very well be on that one Sunday, you are all in, committed. But what we really desire is that you're committed every week, Because you value the teaching that's happening. You value the leadership. You value the ministries that are happening here. If Doug shows up on Wednesday night for high school ministry, and he has team members that are part of that, and they've said, we're committed, Doug. We're here for you on Wednesday night. And nobody shows up on his team. What does that say to Doug? It says, wait a minute. I thought you were committed to the team. Well, we had something else. We had something better that we want to be a part of. Doug says, wait, I thought you were part of the team. You see, it's important, it's valued, it's it's an essential part of who we are as a church to know who is with us. Look at what the Scripture tells us. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Paul talks and illustrates the church in terms of the body, that there are multiple parts to our body, and each part is, is essential to the function of our body. One of the hardest things to do in professional sports is to hit a baseball. Uh, You talk to any professional baseball player, they'll tell you hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do. In fact, even Deion Sanders yesterday was asked that question on game day, and, and his response was hitting a baseball. Deion Sanders was a phenomenal athlete, and he said hitting a baseball. Because what has to happen when you hit a baseball is everything from your head to your toes has to function in sync with one another, and if your eyes are just a tad bit out of focus, you are going to miss the baseball, because what's related to your eyes relates to your shoulders, relates to your hips, relates to your legs, and in order to hit a baseball, everything has to function together. And so, if my vision is just a tad blurry, those professional athletes, those baseball players will tell you, just the, the slimmest of blur in my vision is affects everything else. The function of hitting a baseball. The church is the same way. We are a body. We function best with everybody, every member functioning in the capacity that God has gifted them and, and relayed that to the church. And if we are missing one of those members, then we're missing the ability for us to function completely in what God wants us to do, devote to God's Word, to be devoted to others, and devoted Um, to outsiders. And so membership means that I am, there is a a practical purpose to that. It lets us know. Now in in church history, church membership roles got bloated. People were joining for all kinds of reasons. They were joining because there was status that came with that. There was money that came with that. There were all these different things. And so church membership started to be something that churches stopped emphasizing because they didn't want their membership roles to bloat. They had 1,600 or 1,500 and 200 people showing up on Sundays, right? We want to know who's on our team. We want to know who's committed to the vision and purpose and what we're committed to here at South Hills Church. And membership lets us know that fact. The last thing, the last reason, I don't need the church to be a Christian. I addressed this just a little bit earlier, but really there is a personal reason. There's a personal reason why you join the church. You can function as a Christian without the church. The church doesn't save you. The church isn't here to to save you. That's not what saves you. Christ still is the one who saves you. He's the one that redeems you. He's the one that changes your life. He does that. And so you can, you can function outside of the church. You can say, I don't need the church. The church has been horrible. If you've had that experience, I'm sorry. The church at time has functioned improperly, poorly. It's had its, its day at times where it's messed up. And you've said, I'm a believer, but I don't want that institution. I don't want the church. And I would say those things are true. And you could function outside of the church on your own. But let me tell you that God does not desire you to be an orphan. He doesn't desire for you to be a part of His family and then to live outside of His church family. He wants you to be a part of it because when you're a part of it there is a personal reason to be a part of the church and that is that as you're a part of the church you find encouragement you find strength you find people who have common interests you find people who have walked similar paths as yours As yours, and you find encouragement from that. If you're walking out here by yourself, you're never going to find that. You're going to think, I'm the only person that God has ever allowed these things to happen to, and have those kind of doubts and questions. But then when you step into the church, when you step in amongst the members, you start to have conversations with them. You're like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one that struggled with this at times. No, you find a collective of people who have similar things. We, we center around who Christ is, and then from there, there's this personal growth that happens. On Wednesday mornings, uh, our, our women's ministry has started a Bible study on Wednesday mornings. They had uh, close to 50 ladies uh, this past Wednesday, which is incredible members who are coming to that and being a part of that. And why? Because there is a personal reason that we do life groups, we do uh, Bible studies like Wednesday morning and Tuesday nights. There's a reason that we're committed to those things, because we know that as you step into those places, you find personal connections with people centered around God's Word. You find people who are like-minded or maybe not like-minded, and yet you find, you're like, oh, I didn't know I could get along with somebody who thinks differently than I do. It's incredible when that happens, right? But that's the collective of what we find when you take this personal reason and say, hey, you know what? I've spent way too much time on my own. What would it be if I was a part of the church, if I stepped into it and allowed God to start to work and encourage me to find strength in my weakness, all of these different things? look what the Scripture says for this. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. We're made up of individual members, but we come together corporately. And as we do that, this personal reflection that takes place, the growth that takes place, when I was a kid, I was, I, I'm a, I've told you I'm a child of the church. Uh, I've grown up in the church. But as I look back at my life, how grateful I am for the different places that I had the church, because we are a collective, support me and encourage me. I went into ministry because my church encouraged me in that path. They said, Matthew, we see what God is doing in you. and we're, They kind of pushed me that way when I didn't want to. This past January, when my dad passed away, I watched my mom's church envelop her and just care for her in so many different ways. And my family, my brother and I as well, who they know very well. When those things happen in our lives and you're separated from the church, there's no way that we can offer the personal care for you. If you're sitting out here and something tragic happens to you, and we don't know you. You're not part of the team. How do we care for you? How do we send others to encourage you or support you when those things happen? You say, well, I, it's never happened before. And I'm sorry for that. But we want that to be the case of who we are. We want to care for one another. And so this personal reason for that, you are a body of Christ. If you are in Christ, then you're in the church. You're the body of Christ. The last thing I want to share with you really quickly is, is how the road towards membership, the road towards membership, just give you three real quick practical things. The road to membership begins with salvation. You can't be a part of the church until you give your life to Christ. That's just the fact. Um, the gospel is still real, and it's true, and it's transforming people's lives on a daily basis around the world. And to be part of the church means that it begins with saying, I believe in Christ. I want to, in faith, I want to follow him. I recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm included in that as well. And it begins with salvation. It begins by saying, I hear this gospel message that Jesus loves me. He cares for me. He wants nothing more than to be a part of my life. And so that submission, that surrender begins with salvation, to give your life to Christ. It follows that then, with baptism. Salvation leads us towards baptism. The model of the early church was people believed they were baptized. And so baptism is, as we talked about last week and the week before, is this outward expression of what Christ has done internally for us. And so we baptize by immersion. Uh, on a regular basis. It's happening more and more here at South Hills Church, which is encouraging. It should be encouraging to you as you see lives being transformed, and they're expressing that through baptism. The early church modeled that. They baptized, and people were part of the church. The third thing in the road to membership is that you say you're in agreement in doctrine and purpose, and uh, doctrine and purpose, that you agree with uh, where the church is going and its purpose. Doctrine is a whole list of things. That's a whole message on its own. When we talk about doctrine, it just simply is how we view God's word, how we view these things like who God is, who Jesus was, what salvation is, baptism, Lord's Supper, communion, all those kinds of things. Um, And you're in agreement with our purpose. Our purpose, as Scott mentioned earlier, is to lead people to find and follow Jesus at the heart of who we are. Love is going to be uh, our action in that and the method that we use, Um, but we want people to find and follow Jesus. Whether you've been far away from the church or you've been near to the church, that's our practice. That's who we are, and that's what we want to be. And so as you take a step towards or this road towards membership, you say, first, have have I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Have I been baptized? And do I agree? Am I in agreement with what this church stands for? Am I in agreement with their devotion to God's word? Am I in agreement with their devotion to others? Am I in agreement with their devotion to the outsider? And if you can say yes to those things, then you say, hey, you know what? I wanna be a part of that team. I wanna be a part of the movement of what God is doing and what he's doing here in the Tri-Cities. Every Sunday morning when we lead our circle time, I mention the fact that South Hills has been uniquely placed in the Tri-Cities to reach this community for Christ and as a church, and as its members, we have the responsibility to step into this community, to step into the community and be the light to the outsiders, to be loved to one another, and to be devoted to God's Word. And that's the truth of what church membership really is about. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. I thank you for your love for us as people, that your first... uh, first piece of this is a relationship with us, that you desire relationship. You love us. You care about us. You offer grace and forgiveness to our lives. Father, we're so grateful for that. This morning, I pray that if there are those that are here that have never surrendered, They've held on to their own personal things, and they've, they've said, I can do this, I can manage, I can make it, and yet at the end of the day, they struggle with the next step. Father, I pray that their hearts would be moved towards you as a church body, as those who are the collective of believers who have come together. Father, I pray that you would continue to move us to love and care for one another, that we would have a deep devotion to your word, that we would be honoring of those that are outside, that we would be so intent on on seeing people's lives transformed that on a regular basis, we're leading them towards you. Father, I thank you for our privilege of gathering together to worship you, to honor you with our praise, with our singing, with our prayer, and with the teaching of your word. But in the end, it's your word that speaks to people's lives. May it be transforming to each and every person, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.